It's the final race week of the 2020 season. And on this edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast, Nate Lawrence and I look at some of the latest news spilling over from last weekend's entertaining race. We also look at some early expectations for Mick Schumacher after he won F2. And we get into the Christmas spirit as I get the boys to tell me their top three wishes for Abu Dhabi and the season. All right, well, this is it, guys. This is it, the final week of a season that we weren't even sure we were going to have, our final preview show for 2020, although everyone's quite excited to get away from 2020, that's for sure. Nate is back as well. He was a busy bunny on a very emotional Sunday um, that Lawrence and I kind of had to drive our way through. But Nate, uh, (laughs) have you recovered from Sunday? Because that was definitely a roller coaster of emotions. It was wild, wasn't it? For what was a dead rubber race, it was pretty entertaining. Um, and yeah, it's still I, I, I most watched entertaining. A kind of recap. Race I, I think so it, far? it it might have been just because we had a surprise winner. You know, Mercedes kind of it, there was already a nice story in that Russell was the the, the Mercedes out in front, uh, and then it all flipped around with the safety car. And you know, when Mercedes mess up, they always mess up in a really big way. Um, just because, yeah, you know, I think. Their fall, because they're always so far ahead, their fall is always so much more spectacular. So off the top of my head, I'd say it's the most entertaining race of the season. I don't know if you guys agree. Laz? Um, it was it was pretty good, wasn't it? Just And also to have someone come from the back of the grid or back of the mm. field after spinning on the first lap to win. I've actually had to go back and re-watch bits of it just to try and understand how certain drivers ended out of position and stuff like that. And Perez's race, no matter which way you cut it, was remarkable. So um, he really deserved that. I mean, the fact he was, if the two Mercedes had finished, he would have been on the podium anyway, is is, yeah. is something pretty special. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and it was his positioning there, the fact he was there and looking so quick, that was kind of what led Mercedes to think they would take the, what's now been dubbed the safety pit stop, even though it's not, it wasn't very safe at all because the tyres all got mixed up. But uh, they only did that because they were worried that other cars would, put on fresh tyres and attack them. And one of the cars they would have been looking at would have been Perez after he did such a great drive through the field, uh, you know, on um, on medium tyres initially and then switching tyres. So, um, yeah, that it, it was fantastic. And there was a lot to digest in that. Not least that that circuit is amazing. I really like it. Like, lots of people um, were playing it down a bit, even on Sunday night. Uh, Valtteri Bottas, I think, because he felt a little bit hurt by everything, <laughs> was calling it a Mickey Mouse track. I disagree I, I think it was great because you um the shorter lap means you multiply the amount of times that you're going through the main overtaking zone which is one two three and then that four five and six section into that far chicane there was overtaking there that's where russell got bottas and then before you know it you're doing it all over again and i i just thought it was really high paced really exciting race to watch so yeah hopefully something to learn from there and i'd be more than happy for f1 to stick the outer layout of bahrain as race two next year rather than the full layout but it probably won't, but yeah, let, let's see what happens. Yeah, and I'll take back. I was quite critical of the outer kind of circuit, but I agree. I thought it was great. It was. It just felt a bit more frenetic than normal race, so it was cool. Nate, I just have to ask you this because I'm playing devil's advocate right now before we get into our newsy bits. But um, just on on the weekend again, because <laughs> Lawrence and I had a little chat about it, though, about your dear friend Valtteri Bottas. Have you officially been broken into oblivion now? Was 2020 um, the year that just broke your Valtteri Bottas, I suppose, hope going into oblivion? <laughs> yeah, so I think anyone who listens to this podcast knows that it's been broken for a while. But this this last weekend, 
so if you're for, for Valtteri Bottas, he had a perfect chance to really lay down a marker and say, look, like I know I've looked bad against Lewis, but this guy's coming to the team. It's my chance to beat him, and he was just outperformed by him completely. And I think from a if you think about his stock as a driver right now, I don't think it's been lower since he joined Mercedes. Um, and it wasn't like he was, you know, he was beaten because of funny circumstances or anything. He was beaten into turn one. Russell looked quicker. I think he was made to look a lot worse at the end because he was on such old tyres and Russell was on newer tyres and over, overtook him in quite an emphatic way. That wasn't that bad. You know, Bottas really wouldn't have been able to do much in that situation. Um, but the whole performance that weekend, on, sorry, on the Sunday just wasn't good enough so um yeah i think right now i you know i know we're going to talk more about russell but it's just such a shame we're not going to see him in that seat next season because it's not like this is also it's not like this is bottas's first chance at mercedes it's the end of his fourth season and i just really can't see you know what he's done to to warrant all these all these chances especially when mercedes have such a good young driver there so um yeah if officially i mean next year i'm not looking forward to the championship next year if russell was there at mercedes I think it would be an unknown, and I would be. But with Bottas, we know what we're going to get. We're going to get Hamilton just walking all over him from the first race. And it was Finland's Independence Day. The stage was, was set for Valtteri. Yes, it was wow. Finland's Independence Day. He had a nice little post about, you know, a, a, a sunset in Finland back home. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is a wonderful foreboding. And then, well, George Russell, I mean, I don't think the UK obviously has an Independence Day, but <laughs> if there ever was one, he definitely would have done it Ev- for them. <laughs> a lot of people have Independence Days that are to do with Britain. but the- Exactly. <laughs> we don't have one. Everyone else's Independence Day is not really yeah. something Britain celebrates, I suppose, but that's a story for another podcast. Let's get into some of the newsy bits right now, because as you said, um, of course, we were going to talk more about George Russell. And we have to, because that's pretty much who everyone's been talking about, I suppose, this weekend, whether or not he'll be able to to come back in that Mercedes car, obviously waiting to find out what the deal is with Lewis Hamilton um, and his positive test with coronavirus. He finally did emerge um, on social media after taking a little break, rightfully so, saying that he does feel better. He even managed a workout, but... Um, he does need to be further tested, correct, guys, um, or let us know some of the protocols that he'll probably have to follow before he a- is actually given the all clear to get back into the, the race car come this Sunday. Yeah, so people listening may know by now, now that they're listening, uh, what's happened. But um, <laughs> the situation is, uh, as of Wednesday when we're recording this podcast, Lewis needs to test negative for coronavirus uh, to be able to be allowed back into the paddock. That's the FIA. Uh, regulation that he needs to uh, abide by. Um, we also think he's still in Bahrain. Uh, he's on a 10-day quarantine there, which is due to end today, Wednesday. Uh, so he then needs to comply with Bahraini um, rules and regulations and also Abu Dhabi's, which are particularly strict this weekend. They've got this biosphere thing going on around uh, basically the hotels on Yas Island. Uh, Yas Island is a little bit away from Abu Dhabi. Uh, and that's where the circuit is. And so they'll have to uh, get him in there. I'm pretty sure all of that will ultimately be a formality if he tests negative. And then uh, the other factor, um, depending on how late they leave these tests and a decision, is that he has to take part in at least one uh, practice session. Now, qualifying is also included in those regulations as a practice session. So if he's ready only in time for qualifying, he can do that. We saw that with Nico Hulkenberg earlier this year at Racing Point at the Eiffel Grand Prix. So there's a few things that still need to be sorted. Um, I wouldn't 
you know, it wouldn't be that surprised maybe if we see um, one driver in the car on Friday, another in, on, on Saturday. If it, if it comes to that, Mercedes do want to put Lewis in that car if they can. Uh, Lewis has said quite clearly that he wants to get back in the car if he can. But, um, you know, in all of these things, safety, health comes first. So it's all about getting that negative test first. Yeah, I think that's um, definitely what Toto Wolf said, that the priority is to have Luis in that car. As much as everyone's hearts would love to see George Russell get another opportunity come this weekend. But let's talk about George and I suppose just generally speaking and and what this could possibly mean for his future. I know, of course, Lawrence and I did the podcast Sunday right after everything high on emotion. And, and Nate Lawrence said that basically in terms of a job interview or you know, which is essentially what many people were looking at this um, this trial with Mercedes was. George really couldn't have done better, could he? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure they do want Lewis back in the car because I think George has given them a massive headache about <laughs> things going forward. I mean, I don't think they're going to get rid of Bottas. I think that you know, that's clearly set in stone for next season. And it, it's been such a good year for Mercedes as well that if you think, like, this should have been... The, the storyline of the season should have just been how dominant Mercedes has been. And now we've got this kind of, there's this Russell thing to talk about going into the off season. So um, yeah, I'm sure they absolutely would love, <laughs> love it if Lewis is back. Um, and yeah, I think Russell showed exactly what he's capable of. You know, you have to always say that with a young driver, that was a great performance. And if Russell had 10 performances for Mercedes, I'm sure he'd have races where he didn't perform. I mean, we saw him crashing under a safety car earlier this year. So clearly he's not the finished product yet. And it's 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 wrong to judge him on the basis of one race and say, oh, he's the you know, best thing since sliced bread. But to come in and do that under that pressure against an established teammate, I don't think you could have, he could have done anything more to Mercedes. Um, and I think he'll be frustrated, you know, that he should have won that race um, easily. And, you know, there's no guarantee in 2022 that Mercedes will be the best car. So that might literally be the best car George Russell ever drives for all he knows, you know, in Formula One. And, um, you know, the, the the win was taken away from him completely out of his hands. So, yeah, that one will live with him, I think, for a bit. But um, if he gets a second chance, it'd be great to round off the season with a win. But again, it would give the the questions would be throwing at Mercedes would be uh, would be very much about why Russell isn't in the car next season. Well, that's exactly what um, he did say after the race. And he said, you know, quote from Toto's perspective, hopefully I have given him a headache, not just for 22, but maybe sooner. So how soon do you think Toto might be going, hmm, if he hasn't already? Well, the thing is, as Nate said, Bottas has a contract at Mercedes for next year. George has a contract at Williams for next year. The only person that doesn't have a contract is Lewis Hamilton, but we expect him to uh, get that sorted before the end of the year with Mercedes. So it's not really a difficult situation, I don't think, for Mercedes. Yes, there'll be a lot of pressure to put George in the car, but they have him long term on a deal. So as soon as that Williams one expires, and they did look into whether he would be able to get out of that contract earlier this year. Back then, Claire Williams was running Williams and said, absolutely not. We want George as part of the assets we're selling to uh, Doralton Capital. And, you know, he's part of the deal we're putting forward. So, um, you know, they, they could look at it. But then the thing is, you know, Bottas does bring uh, certain things which Mercedes want. You know, Nate said earlier that, you know, he's can't get excited about um, next season if it's Bottas and Hamilton. Well, you know, I, I kind of agree, but it's not Mercedes' job to make their fun exciting. It's Mercedes' job to go and win. And uh, as things stand, I think, you know, the best thing for them to go and secure next year's title, both 
drivers and constructors is probably to stay with the same team because if you rock the boat in a kind of Hamilton Rosberg kind of way by bringing Russell in uh, then you potentially create a number of problems you know further down the line so I, I think eventually one day they'll have to do that and I think that day will be um, the start of the 2022 season that seems like a logical time to bring Russell in I'd love it if uh, Hamilton's still there I think he probably will be and see those two go up against each other but if you don't need to create that situation earlier uh, than that then why would you so I, I for that reason I can't really see see it changing um, Bottas I think is also someone that they um, they believe in you know from a developing the car point of view uh, you know the it's always better when you keep two drivers who are solid and know what they're doing in the car when you've got so little testing at the start of next year. Yes, the chassis is going to be the same, but the aero regulations have changed quite a lot. So, you know, there's still quite a lot to digest. There's the tyres that, you know, they need to get their head around as well. So, you know, if Mercedes are purely looking at next year, how do we win two championships again? I would say stick with Hamilton and Valtteri. If, if, if there's a danger that they could lose Russell in some way, I don't think there is, because my understanding is they have him under this long-term contract, then maybe you'd want to act on bringing Russell through sooner but um you know it, it's a it, it's a nice situation I'd say for Mercedes to have rather than a headache because you know they've got all the drivers in their stable and it's just up to them to choose how they place them and when and look you know if Bottas has an awful start to the year and Russell can be teased out of that Williams contract you could do it mid-year next year because we've seen Russell as capable of changing cars mid-season and performing at a very high standard so yeah I, I think it's a great situation for Mercedes to have they're much rather that and be in a situation where, you know, they're wondering who their next Lewis Hamilton is right now, you know, because Lewis isn't going to continue forever. Tear. But then I suppose um, Toto does say that for now that would be a bit of an unrealistic situation. But he did say, um, he says, I can understand that it would be an interesting situation to have both George and Lewis in the team and maybe a bit of a wild ride for all of us. So Nate, again, Lawrence and I kind of touched on it just to see um, what kind of a dynamic these two uh, would definitely have if they're both at Mercedes and how much it probably would change um, how things are, are done at Mercedes right now. What do you, look into your crystal ball, what would you predict? <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, I still think that Lewis would be the one who was the stronger performer, just given where Russell's at in his career. Um but this is the thing, and, and Lawrence is completely right, you know, and, and Toto Wolf is like the most pragmatic person you can get. And that team went through three years with Hamilton and Rosberg. And if there'd been a, a team closer to Mercedes in that time, Mercedes might have opened the door to another team winning the championship because they, you know, it, it got really difficult, you know, towards the end of that. So Bottas is perfect for that. And I agree with everything Lawrence said. Um, but the fan in me wishes it wasn't the case. Because um, it, you know, it definitely you have no idea. Russell might go there and think I want to win races. They might collide at the first race of the season. They might anything could happen, you know. And and you never know. It's an it's a there's so many unknowns to that situation that you know next year is such an open goal for Mercedes. It, they just don't need the the headache. So um, frustratingly, that is that makes sense from their point of view. All right. Well, I'm pretty sure the George Russell talk will continue until we find out exactly what is confirmed or who is confirmed and who's not for Mercedes this coming weekend. As we said, we're not sure just yet at the time of recording this podcast, but I'm sure 
all will be revealed soon. But anyways, I was just scrolling down um, Nate's uh, Twitter because that's exactly where I'm going next for our next news story because everyone's talking about George Russell, but of course, Nate, everyone's talking about Sergio Perez. Get to him in a bit though because I realize you said that you changed your Instagram bio and nobody and F1 Twitter didn't notice. What did you change it to? Yeah, uh- <laughs> Well, no, I didn't actually change it. It was a joke because um, George Russell and Valtteri Bottas both changed theirs or allegedly have changed theirs and everyone was going mad about it. Um, and I don't, I never know how people notice that because to notice to... that you surely have to, you have to check their Instagram every day and then you suddenly see it's different. Um, but, but I know Bottas Mercedes is, then changed as... theirs. Yeah. But yeah. they actually posted a new bio. I, 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 I double checked this, with, this out. I double checked this yeah. with people that know and George didn't actually change his. His was always whatever it is, British flag, racing driver, and it didn't say Williams beforehand. And uh, Valtteri did get rid of Mercedes, Petronas, AMG. Uh, he also got rid of Coffee Lover and Never Give Up. So, you know, you've got to read into those things as well. Like, uh, as, <laughs> He's given up coffee uh, uh, and he uh, has given up. Uh, has he been the coffee machine? You know, was it, did it go wrong? I don't know. So, so yeah. The, Poor Valtteri. This year's been so, t- so tough, it's, it's kicked his coffee habit. Yeah. That's that's tragic. Um, maybe coffee was a problem. Maybe it was getting too jittery on the grid. I don't know. But um, yeah, so it's it's one of those things which inevitably people go crazy about. It reminded me of um, when Lewis Hamilton accused his teammate at the time, Jensen Button, of stopping following him on Twitter, of, of kind of removing him from the people that Jensen followed. And then Jensen pointed out, oh, well, Lewis, I never actually followed you in the first place. So sorry, Ooh. mate. <laughs> But, you know, it's stuff like that kind of gets a bit a bit kind of silly and messy. Um, and I, I think this one even more so. I think this is one of those things which um, I, I've actually kind of got into F1 Reddit recently because <laughs> there's just a huge wealth of quite funny stuff and also really interesting kind of, you know, fan analysis of stuff, you know, things that you might not think about. There's some very good points out there. Um, but, yeah, if you go deep in there, you find all this stuff about what it means to remove a bio from uh, or a name from a bio but um yeah i wouldn't read too much into it i just love the idea that you know to fans they must think that you know toto wolf called valtteri up and said look valtteri we're not going to give you the drive next year and valtteri was like oh and then he goes to his instagram and immediately changes his bio to mercedes is gone now that'll show them i've broken the news but like you know it, it is when you actually think about it like that like how often do you actually change your it, it's quite a silly a silly thing but um, I, I mean, it I, kept people talking on, on social. I was saying I, I had seen when um, Mercedes' account actually had to change their, well, change their bio and said, guys, just an Instagram bio, don't read into it. <laughs> now it all makes sense. It all makes sense now. I honestly don't even read people's Instagram bios and I am on Instagram a lot. I don't even, I can't even remember what's in mine, to be honest, like off the top of my head. So, but I do sometimes notice when people follow and unfollow one another or granted I can look for it, but bios that's another level that i think we all have too many responsibilities to be checking up on that or maybe we should add them to our list of responsibilities anywho here's a little bit of a mini plug to take us into our next topic which has to do with sergio perez um again he's still a lot of the headlines this week going into the weekend again um nate wrote a nice lovely little article about him you can check it out on espn dot com looking in the f1 section and it says sergio perez's win caps wild year and highlights uncertain future but nate what you did say about it is that a race win even though we're celebrating it and we're super happy for sergio perez and said this is a long time coming you know a decade in the making for such a talented driver you said that it is um 
it's the least of what we should be celebrating for a driver like him and of his caliber. So where does it leave him? How close is he now, do you think, to actually maybe getting a call from Red Bull? Because I think we should just throw it out there. It's the last race week of the season. So what what are your spidey senses telling you? Yeah, I mean, the Sergio said it himself after the race. He said it hasn't really changed much for him. And you get the impression from everything that we've heard it just sounds like they're leading towards uh, Red Bull. That is is leading towards Albon, um, you know. Which I tweeted as well um, earlier this week that if Red Bull is in a situation next year where it's picked Albon over two people who have won their first race in 2020 in Gasly and Perez, then you have to say like, what on earth is going on there? Because that that point is just sticking rigidly to a decision that you've made, you know whenever it was you know they've clearly just said this is what we're doing um and it's really strange but yeah it to 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 answer directly what you um what you asked um i can't see perez at red bull um unless things change drastically you know red bull cancelled christian horner's media sessions after the race on sunday i think they knew what the bulk of the questions were going to be um and ultimately horner really doesn't have a say in those decisions everyone kind of says oh is christian horner going to do it but you know those decisions are made above his head and i think that um, Red Bull's already committed to what it wants to do. So it's a real shame. It's stunning that we could be looking at Perez's last race, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, but it, it, it's really strange. And I you know, I can't really understand Red Bull's mindset. It, I think it makes them look really silly, if I'm honest with you. You know, they've got these great drivers. And the thing is, next year, I want I, we should record this next bit because, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to put this to Horner next time we get the chance to speak to him. But I know that Horner next year is going to complain that Max doesn't have the the you know, the right circumstances to beat Lewis. And one thing they always say is he doesn't have a strong teammate, but they've got this option of this strong teammate now. It's right there. It's ready made for them. You know, you put Perez there, give him a year even, say it's a one-year deal, so you have to play by the rules if you want another contract. And then you can take the fight to Lewis, put him under a bit more pressure. And if they're sat there next year complaining about that and they've still got Albon there, you're like, well, I'm sorry, but that's all on you. That's, that's you know, it's on Albon as well, but you knew that. It's not like, it's not like there's still a question mark over Albon. You know, he's just not performing at the level you need to um, on a consistent basis. So, um, yeah, real shame for Perez. But also, you know, if Red Bull, if that's the way Red Bull wants to go, they're not going to win a t- title anytime soon. That's that simple. And Lawrence, I mean, when we, it was funny because when we were recording the podcast on Sunday, right after the race, uh, Lawrence's phone was going off for all the um, alerts and presses and stuff, as you guys obviously are involved in right after the race. And he did just get, as I was about to ask him a Red Bull question, he got the notification that Red Bull had cancelled all media commitments at that time. So we were left wondering, but Lawrence, have they um, thrown out any hints so far, at least in the last two days since we last spoke, or is it still mum's the word? No, absolutely not. No, nothing from them. Um, and I don't think we'll get an answer until after Abu Dhabi, which makes sense. I think, you know, they're, they're in no rush. Perez is going nowhere else, so he's always there as an option. And the same applies next year. So, you know, if you were to look at it purely from a kind of, well, trying to build up Albon a bit, and you say, look, this year the car hasn't suited him, and you think, well, Red Bull can go back to the drawing board, they can dial some of that out for next year, and then if he can perform at the start of next year, he keeps a seat. But Red Bull have shown that, you know, they're not afraid of changing drivers midway through a season. So they could quite easily pull Albon out, promote Gasly, bring in Perez. You know, all those options are going to be there for them. Perez uh, has said that he won't be doing anything next year apart from spending time with his family if he's not in a Formula One car. So I'm sure he would happily 
uh, rock up to a race if he gets, you know, if he gets the notification to do so. So the options are kind of there, you know, for a while for Red Bull. And I guess that's the only way I can get my head around it. Because at the moment, if you look at um, Albon's qualifying record, if you look at his record in the races, he's just nowhere near Verstappen uh, and by a significant amount. And as Nate just said at the end of his piece, you're not going to win a world championship uh, with that driver lineup. It doesn't, you know, unless Red Bull create a car which is half a second maybe even more than that, maybe it needs to be about a second quicker than Mercedes. With Albon at his current form and his current average lap time uh, in qualifying, he's still going to be behind the Mercedes, which means they're not going to beat Mercedes in the World Championship. So, you know, that's, that's a real, real problem. At the moment, Lewis Hamilton alone has more points than Red Bull has as a team. And that tells you how few points Albon has been able to get together. So, that's that's the real concern because look on you know on the chance that Red Bull do produce a car that isn't just a solid second best and they get second in the constructors championship no matter what if they're in a position where either they're fighting Mercedes or in fact the midfield catch up with them then they're going to need a competitive second driver and I know we say we shouldn't base things on single races and you know it's true we shouldn't but if you look at Sunday's Sakir Grand Prix. Uh, Al, so Perez overtook Albon in the first stint. So Perez was behind Albon. Now, if you look at the quality of that car, the Red Bull, and you look at the lap times Max was able to do in Friday practice uh, when they were doing their long run pace. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see what Max could do in the race because he got taken out. But if you look at that, then Albon should have been a competitor for the podium. In the end, they made uh, the extra pit stop, a bit like Mercedes did, which was a mistake. So that was partly a Red Bull strategy issue. But even then, he was only on target for fourth place. So you look at it all and you're like, how, how is this happening, first of all? And I think this is, you know, the one thing that Red Bull know and we don't know is what the root of this issue is. Because Albon isn't that bad. As a driver, fundamentally doing single laps in races, he isn't as bad as he's being made to look. I'm convinced of that because he's had a very good junior career. He's raced against the likes of Russell, Leclerc and done well. And so what is it about this car this year? Because he was good in the uh, Toro Rosso last year. He was still pretty good in the Red Bull last year. So what is it about this Red Bull this year? And Red Bull must know exactly what the issue is and they must believe in some way or another that it won't be such a big issue or it won't be an issue at all next year. That's all I can believe. That's the only reason you would keep him in the team. So, yeah, if that's the case, that's the case. And uh, and in a way, it's nice because I don't want to see Albon get completely chucked out of F1. And I think that probably is the other option. It looks like uh, Yuki Sonoda from Formula 2, who's had a pretty good rookie year in Formula 2, finished third in the championship. OK, he didn't win it, but he was a rookie. He's going into Alpha Tauri alongside Gasly. And so uh, Albon would have nowhere to go if he gets if he gets chucked. Um, so yeah, that, that's where we stand. And meanwhile, Perez, while he says next year it looks like nothing's changed, he is now saying that he's got options for 2022 in Formula One, which, as I said on the last podcast, weirdly enough, in all of Perez's career, the one year that he probably wouldn't mind missing is next year because we have a complete rule change for 2022. He can come in with a different team and uh, do what we know we can do, which is now win races, which is fantastic. <clears throat> Just quickly on Albon to finish that point off. Um, I think he deserves the same chance that Gasly got from Red Bull, which was to go back to AlphaTauri and kind of rediscover his mojo a bit. Because at the moment, what they're doing is 
they're giving him you know he's had twice the time Gasly did have granted but that then if if they if they were to get rid of him that that's I think probably why they're not getting rid of him is because they'd just be casting him out to nothing so at the very least he deserves that chance to kind of go back to AlphaTauri that would be fairer for them and Red Bull have probably got themselves in a in a mess because they have Sonoda to promote so if Sonoda wasn't there I think it would be a really easy decision um, so I imagine that might be why there's that decision as well because I, I completely agree with Lawrence I think that the real Albon is better than 2020 Albon well, curious to see Nate, what you think too, because um, that was, thought was a really good point that uh, that Lawrence brought up, because um, it was off the back as well of what Sergio Perez did say after, where he says he's kind of um, already made peace with the fact that he he might have to take a sabbatical year off, and he said, you know what, it, it to him it won't be a disaster. We were both talking about it and saying it seems like he is in the best form of his life. So why would you want to, even though he's being forced, but why would you want to see someone who's just absolutely in the best form of their career so far, take a sabbatical on how it could affect them coming back in. But how do you see it? Do you see that it, it probably won't be a disaster and it might actually work to his advantage coming back in 2022? Yeah. Lawrence is hundred percent right. That that is the year you'd want to come back in. Um, and any disadvantage from missing a year is kind of mitigated. Um, but it is quite remarkable when you hear Perez say that. And I think, We've actually seen quite a few examples of his character this year. Um, I wrote it in that piece that you kindly plugged earlier. Um, but, you know, in the situation he was in, being sacked by Racing Point, when he, you know, he helped save that team in 2018, he would have had every right to really behave in a bad way after that. It wouldn't have been great. It wouldn't have been professional, but you would have understood why if he'd been, you know, if he'd called the team out, if he'd said bad things about Lawrence Stroll, whatever it was. He's never done it because he loves the team and when he missed the podium the week before Sakir at the Bahrain Grand Prix you know people say oh, it must be heartbreaking and he said I thought it was quite impressive at the time he said well look you know Grosjean escaped that crash me losing a podium is pretty irrelevant in the grand scheme of things and that does show uh, a great deal of character about Perez so the fact that he's kind of it seems like he's just kind of at peace with where he is uh, in the world and I think that win probably means that if he if he is walking away from Formula 1 he at least knows he he doesn't have that you know, big thing missing from his career. Um, but yeah, it would be great if he came back in 2022. I mean, um, that'd be quite a cool story. You know, if he's with a competitor or a team that looks competitive, um, it's definitely a chance he deserves to have. So, you know, hopefully we're not talking about... When Alonso left in 2018, I think all of us knew. I remember Lawrence and I talking about it. He had this big farewell. We we're like, this guy's not done with F1. And with Perez, the back of my mind, it's like the guy should come back. Like teams would be silly to overlook him again in 2022 um so yeah hopefully hopefully he's he's on the ball with that yeah, I, I still got my farewell fernando t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> I, I was looking for mine I, I can't I, I can't find my one if if i make it to australia i might wear it on the grid and just go and stand by his car and be like hi fernando remember this <laughs> nice to see you here <laughs> um, but i'll probably just look too much like a fanboy and get abuse on social media so maybe i won't okay we're all human who doesn't get abuse on social media trust i will know anyways moving on to the next um piece of newsy bit we have before we start looking ahead to abu dhabi and close things off on this edition of the podcast mick schumacher let's talk about him guys we're expecting him in formula one come next season with Haas, but he pretty much rounded out formula two in style by winning the championship so what more i suppose can you tell some of our listeners that probably aren't so familiar with the man behind the name because of course when you do see that name, you expect greatness, and so far, uh, so good. Yeah, he's he's proved himself to be um, a very reliable driver in junior formula. It's it's a slightly unusual one because he's only won three races in his 
two years in Formula 2, two of which came this year and contributed to the title. One came last year. And uh, he's never qualified in pole position. So it, it's a very weird um, way to go about winning the championship. But while that might tell you perhaps some of his weaknesses, you know, perhaps he's not the outright fastest driver in that field, the fact that he had the consistency uh, to, to still become the champion says a lot. And really, Formula 1 teams, um, often, especially Formula 1 teams towards the back of the grid, the one thing which they will value above all else in a young driver is that consistency because that's often such a hard thing to get down. And I think in reality, he is still fairly quick. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not convinced he's um, the best F2 champion there's ever been because he's going up against the likes of Leclerc, uh, well, Hamilton, if you go back to the GP2 era, era Hulkenberg, um, Van Dorn. You know, there's a number of drivers who we, we knew were very, very quick. Um, and they came through F2. And I don't quite get the same feeling about Mick, but there's I'm not 100% convinced by that either. So I'm kind of hoping he goes out there and proves me wrong and proves that he is 100% the whole package because that would be great to see. But um, yeah, it, it's an interesting move and I, I think absolutely the right one because um, when you win Formula 2, you're not allowed to take passing it the following year. So um, he had to go to Formula 1. And uh, I think he, it's the right time. He looks prepared. He's a really nice guy. Um, he's very smart, intelligent, um, and I think has got a long career ahead of him in Formula One. Um, it's just really hard to gauge at the moment quite how far he will go. But if you look at, say, you know, the Ferrari situation, he's a Ferrari young driver. They've got Leclerc there a long time. He's absolutely their future um, for as long as uh, he wants to stay there, I get the feeling. And then they've got science coming in for a couple of years. But when those two years are up, if Mick has really made waves lower down, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he could go and be a Ferrari driver. But I think he'll have to prove himself again. He's still got stuff to prove and have to prove himself again when he gets up to Haas, like any driver would. And I think it's absolutely right that he does. And he's under no illusion there as well. You know, He doesn't want to just trade off his surname. He wants to do it on, on his own results. So, um, yeah, if he can go there and perform on a, on a decent level, then, um, yeah, who knows how far he could go. And that Ferrari path is 100% open to him at the moment. He's just got to get the results to make it happen. Yeah, because at one point he... Was it in go-karting that he um, raced under his mother's maiden name instead? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's correct and understandable as well. Can you imagine, you know, these kids oh, yeah. start go-karting when they're nine years old and it's like, oh, there's the the son of Michael Schumacher. You know, that pressure is huge all of a sudden. And um, I think it was absolutely the right thing to do that. So he originally raced under his mum's maiden name, which was Betch. And then uh, I think for his final year in go-karts, he was racing under Mick Jr. And it was a little bit clearer who he was. And then when he got to cars, um, you know, he carried that Schumacher name and he, he, he carried it well. And look, he's a Formula 3 champion. He's a Formula 2 champion. He won both of those series in the second year which is on target for, I'd say, a driver who's worthy of being in Formula 1. Uh, the very best tend to win them the first year they're in it. You know, like Lewis Hamilton, uh, Leclerc, you know, drivers like that will just win it straight away. Guys like Max Verstappen just skip whole sections. They don't even bother with Formula 2 and just go straight to F1. So he's, I'd say his junior career hasn't been of that level. But, you know, drivers also develop at different rates. So we, we may see him, you know, really develop in Formula 1 and uh, I really hope he does, because like I said, 
on the few interactions that uh, I've had with him, which has basically been press conferences, uh, he's, he's proved to be a really nice, polite young man and uh, I, I wish him all the best. Perfect. Well, I'm sure we'll definitely delve into a bit more of the world of Mick Schumacher when it's closer to actually seeing him um, in action next season for Formula One. But right now, um, it's the, the thing that will bring the curtain down on what's been a wild 2020 season. Abu Dhabi's coming up. Nate, um, what are your expectations, I suppose, for, for this final run? I know there's still some things that we're waiting to see confirmed and hear confirmed, but um, early expectations, I guess. Well... I mean, Mercedes will be the team to beat. They'll be out in front. Um, Even if they you put know. you in that car. Well, maybe. Maybe I'd be in the top three. I don't know. No, probably not. And oh, come on, th- Just on that, <laughs> I think George Russell kind of has skewed that kind of perception of how easy it is to jump into a new car and yeah. compete. And I think that's more on how good George Russell is than, you know, how good the Mercedes... I mean, the Mercedes is clearly very good, but, you know, he'd had tests before in the past and... That's actually something a lot of friends of mine said, like, oh, it must be so easy for any of those guys to win in that car. Um, and I think that that really does show how good Russell did. Um, sorry, random tangent off my own point there. Um, yeah, Abu Dhabi is a weird one because, um, you know, in my head, my, my favorite final race was always Brazil. Um, and a final race, unless the title's riding on it, I think you, you lose a lot of the aura around it anyway. And um, I actually went to um, Abu Dhabi in 2016, which is one of my favourite races I've covered, um, which was when Rosberg won the title off Lewis. Just so tense. wasn't a great race to actually, you know, in terms of what you would call a conventionally great race. And I think that's one of the problems with Abu Dhabi is that, you know, the races usually hang in the balance sometimes, but you don't get these these crazy wild races like we've seen. But I say that 2020 has thrown up all sorts of different things um, and... I'm sure Lawrence is about to come in and point out that I've missed a great Abu Dhabi race because I can see on his face he's like, he's thinking of one. Oh, maybe not. <laughs> it is um, one of the worst tracks on the calendar. For yeah, racing. I was going to say, it, it's not, it's it's really underwhelming. And unless the title's on the line, like, it's not really that fun. It's between that and Paul Ricard, as far as I'm concerned, as as, as worst races or, or, or sorry, uh, worst tracks on, on, on the calendar. Um if we do get Russell in the car, I think it will be interesting because there are a couple of factors uh, that kind of played into his hands slightly in Bahrain. One was that because Mercedes had raced there the weekend before, Lewis Hamilton's setup was already on the car. And um, yeah, you know, they removed, okay, they removed the middle bit. They did change the downforce levels very slightly, probably not as much as some people felt they would. But um the basic kind of setup and understanding of the car was already there from Lewis. So would Russell have such an easy ride when he has to start from zero in Abu Dhabi? I kind of suspect that he's uh, a good enough driver and uh, has a very good engineering team around him when he's at Mercedes that perhaps he, he would be able to create something. But that would be another interesting challenge if we get Russell in that seat again. Again, by the time you listen to this, you may already know the answer. Um, and the other thing about this track is that it's it's much longer and it's more technically challenging than Bahrain. Um, the one area where Russell kind of struggled a bit in Bahrain was in turn one, which was a low speed corner. He just couldn't quite match Bottas for um, breaking point. He was breaking a bit earlier and he kept getting oversteer on the exit and he just couldn't dial it out the whole weekend. And he said part of it was because he was trying to do what he did with the Williams and the Mercedes and it just didn't work and he was losing time there. So it would be really interesting uh, uh, in Abu Dhabi, a track where you've got a real mix of corners 
a very slow technical final sector with off-camber corners. Would that play into Bottas's hands? I feel as though it probably would, but you know this would be another amazing thing if Russell then went there and was as convincing again, or more convincing if he outqualifies Bottas. Then I think you know we know even more about George. So um, of course we're all hoping that Lewis is fit and well, um, but if he's not and George is in the car, there's plenty to look out for. Uh, in that battle as it unfolds. If not, we, we may never know because <laughs> Russell may be the direct replacement for Bottas by the time he gets in the car the next time after that. Okay, so now is usually the time when we do get Nate's bald predictions, but because we're trying to get into the Christmas spirit, even though I know as of the time that we're recording, it's about two weeks away until Christmas, but it's Christmas as soon as it turns December 1st. So I've consulted with our mother Christmas, Mariah Carey, and we have decided to give both you and you, Lawrence and Nate, um, three Christmas wishes for Abu Dhabi because this is our last race weekend for the year. So get them in, boys. What are your top three Christmas wishes? You know what? You can even go more. I'll consult with Mariah and see if it's allowed. But for now, let's start with three. So pen your letters. Start off by saying, dear Mariah. Okay. Do we actually have to do that? Okay, yes. fine. Uh, so, dear Mariah, I would wish for um, Sergio Perez to win again, and then Red Bull have to have to put him in the in the car next year. But somehow, a second wish that Albon somehow has a seat that he can go to as well, so he can stay on the grid. So you get the best of both worlds. And then a third wish. Um, that's a tough one. I haven't thought I haven't thought that far ahead. Usually, usually my brain is only ready for one prediction. Um, th- third one. Uh, uh, third one could be your your prediction. Why don't you tell Mariah what you think is going to happen this weekend? Then will lightning strike? Well, uh, you'd like Sergio Perez to win again, but what do you think will actually happen? I think Bottas will be the second place to Mercedes this weekend. Ooh, I mean, ooh, interesting. I'm it, it's, it's still quite. Yeah, they still yeah. quite bold because as of this time of recording, as we keep saying, we don't know if Lewis Hamilton is indeed going to be back yet. So <sighs> that means yeah, I'll stick I won't, with have, that. I won't like that. have the mental breakdown that I had last weekend <laughs> watching George go through that. Lawrence, what are your wishes to Mariah? Uh, d- d- dear Mariah, um, <laughs> I, first of all, Health and happiness comes first. So I, I would say Lewis to recover and return to the Mercedes. I know that, you know, we'd probably all like to see George have another crack at it, but I think that that's probably the most important thing. So Lewis returns to Mercedes. Second wish is that George manages to get the Williams in the top six, let's say. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm being realistic here as well. I know Mariah's a busy lady, so she, she, <laughs> she, she might not be able to make a podium happen. But a top six would be fantastic. Um, and then, yeah, the, fi- the tricky final Christmas wish. Um, oh, it is a tricky one, isn't it? Um, I-, I hope something good for Kevin Magnussen as well, you know, because this could be his last race in Formula One. Um, this kind of got brushed over a bit with all the Perez stuff and uh, obviously Romance injury. You know, I mean, it would have been wonderful if Grosjean could have come back, but we, we know for certain... That's not happening now because of uh, well, he's he's back in Switzerland and France, where getting his uh, his hands um, sorted out and uh, seen to. So uh, yeah, Kevin to um, get a good haul of points in the Haas to sign off 
uh, what I hope isn't the end of his career, but could be the end of his Formula One career. Yeah, great shout. We we definitely should have big Magnussen up more in this uh, these last few weeks, but there's been so much going on. Um, I mean, we could shame definitely... to see him going. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. That's all we have for today, but make sure to catch the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix on ESPN this Sunday. If you're in the U.S., it'll be on quite early at 8, 10 a.m. Eastern time and catch the podcast as we look back on the race this Sunday as well. And make sure to keep it across ESPN.com for all F1 updates.